0: Have you ever wondered where the concept of ghosts, aliens, or the Loch Ness Monster began? Who is the first female serial killer, and what exactly defines what a wives' tale is? If you would like to delve into the dark side of history, join me, Paige Hume. in my quest to uncover the sometimes unbelievable origins of all things strange or spooky. hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of strange origins now i apologize if you hear any background noises it's not a ghost it's just my cat i promise she wanted to be in the room with me and i can't really say no to her so as before i am your host Paige bolston hume and i'm very excited to get into the story of a toy that everyone seems to have a story about the ouija board i'm pretty sure just about everyone knows what a ouija board is whether it's from watching horror films, sleepovers, or your cousin telling you about their terrifying experience with one. Technically, it's a flat board with markings on it, usually the alphabet, the numbers 0 to 9, and the words yes, no, and goodbye, printed or etched on the top. They also frequently feature sun, moon, and star symbols. There also is a separate piece, a planchette, which is a small heart-shaped piece made of glass or wood. When it was first introduced, the Ouija board was simply just referred to as a talking board. This makes sense seeing as its main purpose is to allow communication between the living and the dead. Technically, it's a tool used to conduct a séance, a French word meaning session. These sessions became popular with the founding of the movement of spiritualism in the 1840s. As I mentioned in my previous episode, the 19th century was referred to as the Romantic Era, and was a time period that people from Europe and the Americas became extremely fascinated by the supernatural world. A large reason for this fascination with the dead, especially in the United States, was that the Civil War took place in the 1860s. It's often cited as being America's bloodiest war, as there were around 655,000 deaths which is close to the amount of deaths from every other U.S. conflict combined. After this incredible loss of life, everyone began looking for ways in which to speak to their dead husbands, fathers, sons, and brothers. Even Mary Todd Lincoln, who, with President Abraham Lincoln, held a seance in order to contact her recently deceased son. Spiritualism was so popular because death wasn't a stranger to anyone in the mid-1800s. Even before the Civil War, Yellow fever and cholera had taken thousands of lives in the U.S. and Europe. This is why, years before Ouija was born, talk of communication between a spirit and two sisters, Kate and Maggie Fox, spread like wildfire. In 1948, in Hydesville, New York, the sisters reported hearing random knocking in their small home. As anyone would, they probably blamed it on creaks in the wood or the wind outside until they visited other homes, and the same tapping persisted. After they began asking questions, and the knocks seemed to answer, they became overnight celebrities. With spiritualism growing in number to a reported 8 million members worldwide, it's not surprising that Ouija was born. Though there are earlier reports of items referred to as turning tables, or witches' boards being used, Weege's specific history goes back to 1890, when a group of men decided to turn the board into a toy and market it for the masses. Charles Kennard, Elijah Bond, and William Fold worked in the same company around the 1890s. There are several stories as to how and who invented the board, and honestly, it gets pretty complicated. Firstly, as to who invented the board, and also where the name came from. One story states that Charles Kennard asked his neighbor, Prussian immigrant E.C. Reich, who was a cabinet and, coincidentally, a coffin maker, to create a few prototypes of the board. Other reports state that his neighbor actually came up with the idea and that Charles stole it. Regardless, in April of 1890, Charles met lawyer and businessman Elijah Bond and proceeded to show Elijah his creation, seeing the benefit in becoming business partners. They tested the board, along with Charles' sister-in-law, who luckily enough was a medium. Here's where it gets even more confusing. Reports state that the board named itself during that session, spelling out the word Ouija when asked what it wanted to be called. Other stories say that Charles' sister-in-law had a heart-shaped locket around her neck that had the word Ouija on it during this session. And others just state that Kennard simply named it himself without help from others. The word Ouija is reported to mean good luck in Egyptian, while others state that it's just an amalgamation of French and German words that both mean yes. Soon after this event, Elijah applied for a patent to sell the board. The patent officer, not wanting to be embarrassed that he had given a patent to such a silly object as a talking board, told Elijah that if the board could spell out his name, that he could have the patent. During a session at the patent office, it surprised everyone and... just that. There were a few instances like that, where the board helped itself out a little. On one occasion, the board told William Fold to prepare for big business, so he went ahead and built a new factory to support production. When a large shipment going to St. Paul, Minnesota got lost in transit, the board directed Fold to its exact location in Ohio, where officials had been unable to locate it. Fold was right though, business would be booming in the coming years. They originally sold the board for a whopping $1.50, which in today's currency was about $42. I'd say that's pretty good profit margins for a piece of wood and a planchet. Ouija became popular again after World War I, when it was used as a divining tool by Pearl Curran, an American spiritualist. Pearl was an interesting person to read about, seeing as she claimed to have written several books through the use of a Ouija board co-writing them with a Puritan woman named Patience Worth. In 1937, Patience was even kind enough to warn Pearl that she would die soon. She would develop pneumonia in November of that year, despite being perfectly healthy before that. Papers in the late 1800s referred to the board as Ouija, the wonderful talking board, which were in stark contrast to today's reports of the board. A simple Google search comes back with Numerous reports of hauntings, demonic possessions, and stories of the board warning users of their imminent death. Sometimes the planchette will be mysteriously lifted into the air or thrown across the room. There have been quite a few incidences where spirits lie about who they are. On occasion, a mysterious spirit by the name of Zozo appears. There are also a few stories where users report playing with the game only to have nothing happen, but for things to go sour after they've put the game away. For weeks afterward, users would experience strange events such as nighttime sleep paralysis or even being followed by spirits during the day. A lot of the time, people attempt to get rid of the game by throwing it in the garbage, leaving it somewhere, or even attempting to burn it. This never really ends well, as the boards always seem to find a way back to their owners. This is probably due to the fact that these people aren't really following the rules of the board. Stay tuned after this short break to hear the best way to get rid of a Ouija board, and also a few more facts explaining where exactly Ouija came from. Several sites mention that the safest way to get rid of a Ouija board is surprisingly not to burn it, or even to break it into seven pieces and sprinkle it with holy water. Rather, the safest way to get rid of it is to not. Simply just make sure that you've successfully closed your last session and leave it alone in a closet somewhere. Most importantly, don't touch it again. I know, I know, this sounds like the beginning of a scary movie, but Ouija boards are tricky business and when there's really no way to get rid of something without causing more damage, the best thing to do is just forget about it and tell others to stay away from toys like it. Though I don't endorse using a Ouija board, I do still think that the rules people follow when using one are fascinating. Rule 1. Never leave the planchette on the board unattended. This is considered very unlucky. Rule 2. Never invite a spirit to make a noise. Rule 3. Never play in a cemetery. You wouldn't want people to disturb your eternal rest, would you? Rule 4. Don't use the board in your own home, as it can make it harder to shake clingy spirits. Rule 5. Never ask the board when you are going to die. Rule six, never play alone. Rule seven, never talk about God. Rule eight, if the planchette begins moving in an infinity shape, say goodbye and leave the session immediately. And lastly, rule nine, never play at 3 a.m. This is for some reason regarded as the devil's hour and when the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. While I personally do believe in the spirit world, And the idea that they can communicate with us through the board. I can also see many valid reasons for as to why people believe that boards are fake. For one, it doesn't help that spiritualism was a capitalist's dream landscape. People will pay anything when it comes to contacting those who they believe have been lost to them forever, whether that's through the services of expensive seance leaders or even the purchasing of a talking board. It's pretty evident that contacting spirits was a lucrative business. This idea is based on the fact that people could make entire livings off of seances during the last two centuries, and also the fact that Ouija boards are still for sale in popular toy stores to this day. Another reason people believe Ouija is a hoax is that there is actually scientific evidence that proves that your body has ways of talking to itself through the use of movement. If you've ever jerked awake from a deep sleep, you've experienced an extreme version of what's referred to as the Idiometer Effect it's like dreaming in the way that the body tells us things we sometimes are trying to guard ourselves against our dreams are a way of organizing emotions and siphoning through all the events good or bad while sometimes dreams can be mundane a reflection of what you've done the previous day such as grocery store shopping or talking to a friend they can also be pretty symbolic about how we should deal with traumas or worries about the future the idiometer effect is similar though it occurs when you're awake. When you ask someone a question, maybe a ghost, you usually already have an idea as to what the answer should be, whether you want to hear it or not. This has been tested by having users of Ouija boards try it out with blindfolds on. The answers to their questions are usually much more incoherent, meaning that when users can't see where to push the planchette, it just ends up being misspelled words or wrong answers. Another fact that gives this idea a little more credit is that studies suggest that the ideometer effect is more effective when a subject believes he or she has no control over their movement. When they give up physical control, that's when their brains are exerting the most control. It's confusing, I know, but if you'd like to learn a little bit more, Vox.com has a great article on it that's listed in the description of this podcast. While I love that there's a scientific explanation, I also personally believe that the ideometer effect can't fully explain everything that happens when someone decides to use a Ouija board. There are too many instances outside of the answering of questions during a session that make Ouija boards unnerving. As I mentioned before, the true origin of talking to spirits goes back farther than the Ouija board, farther even than recorded history can account for. In ancient Greece, philosopher and mathematician Pythagoras encouraged his disciples to use a rudimentary version of a talking board to unearth revelations about themselves and the world around them. Another popular way for people to contact spirits before Ouija began was in China around 1420 AD. People would use a suspended sieve or tray in order to guide a stick which would write Chinese characters in the sand. According to a folk tale, it even became so popular that an emperor during the Song Dynasty around 1000 AD built a special planchette altar in the Forbidden City. Even today, this practice, referred to as Fuji spirit writing, is performed today in Taoist temples in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Malaysia, but this is only with great discretion following a period where it was banned from the 1600s to the early 1900s. In the 1850s, planchettes and pendulums even became so popular that the Bishop of Paris felt it necessary to issue a letter forbidding nuns and monks from communicating with the other side. Though different methods have been used, it seems that communicating with spirits has been a favorite pastime for just about everyone. And it's not just that people have had fun playing around talking to spirits. What's come back from the other side has had an effect on our everyday lives. Singer Alice Cooper claimed to have gotten his stage name from using a Ouija board, once being told by a spirit that he was the reincarnation of a 17th century witch by the same name. Though I have my doubts about this one, it's still a pretty interesting story. Bill Wilson, co-founder of the group Alcoholics Anonymous, stated in his autobiography that he contacted a 15th century monk using the board. He even said that this monk helped him to create the famous 12 steps that served to help alcoholics recover from addiction. And in the early 1960s, a couple started receiving several messages from an entity named Seth. Seth went on to create several volumes of work which discussed everything from quantum physics, to religion, ethics and existence before life on Earth. Today boxes of his work reside at the Yale Archives in New Haven, where volunteers attempt to put his work into a computer database. Even though plenty of usable information has come from Ouija boards, they are understandably less popular today. This is primarily due to the fact that religious leaders are more outspoken about the spiritual dangers of the board. Another reason for people being both drawn to the game and also being smart enough to avoid it Are the use of Ouija in horror films. A catalyst for the decline in sales for the game 50 years ago was the 1973 film The Exorcist. Though I don't personally have the stomach to watch the entire film, I do know that it features the possession of a girl named Reagan following an interaction with a Ouija board and the communication with a spirit referred to as Captain Howdy. Today, kids learn about the dangers of the board through films such as Ouija, Origin of Evil, and even Veronica. From a historical perspective, though, it's easy to see why Ouija boards are still selling to this day. The popularity of the board reached a record after the Vietnam War in 1966. This was lucky enough for the Parker Brothers, as they had bought the Ouija trademark from William Fold's family. By 1967, Ouija had outsold Monopoly, which was one of the only times a board game had ever done that. Grief, especially when it concerns loved ones whom you didn't get a chance to say goodbye to is a great motivator for the purchase of a talking board. But just because one is grieving doesn't mean that A, a talking board will work for you, or B, that the person you're attempting to contact will communicate with you. As a final warning, I feel the need to remind everyone listening that while learning about the history of the Ouija board has been enlightening and fun, I would personally never use one. I would advise the same for those of you out there, whether you are deeply intrigued by supernatural subjects or whether you think it's all just a big hoax. Opening oneself up to negative thoughts has never led to positive ones. The only people who I cannot advise on the use of a Ouija board are those who have been taught to use them in a positive atmosphere with all of the necessary precautions. And even then, that is a very, very small percentage of people who have years of experience behind them. If you still have an interest in Ouija like I do though, The one safe activity I would advise is visiting Elijah Bond's gravesite. After his death in 1921, he was buried in Baltimore, Maryland's Greenmount Cemetery, where visitors can usually spot where he's laid to rest. All you have to do is find the headstone with the markings of a Ouija board on the back. Now, as I come to the end of this episode, I want to thank anyone that took the time to listen, and also to thank my sponsor, Anchor.fm, For allowing me to get this podcast out for you all to hear. For anyone that has a story they would like to share, I would absolutely love to be able to hear from you, wherever you are or whoever you are. It would be great to know what about this week's topic interested you. If you have your own experiences with it, I would also love to be able to read your stories aloud on the podcast so that listeners know that they aren't alone in their strange experiences. I'm working on building an Instagram page for Strange Origins, so if you like what you hear or you like spooky memes, give me a follow. Also, if you would like to support this podcast and help it grow into something bigger, please visit my Patreon page, which is listed in the description of this episode and where I offer great gifts to those supporting my dream job. And as always, guys, remember to keep it strange.